Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, November the 24th in 2023 on When Our Eyes. Today we come to the end of year A, proper week 29, which is the reign of Christ Sunday. And on the Friday of the week, I'd like to take a look at the gospel passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary in this week of the church's calendar year. So we find ourselves back in a familiar spot. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to go forward once more to the next parable, verses 31 through 46. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, and, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is a word of God for us. All right, so once again, we could spend some time looking at how this parable is read devotionally and how it's read academically. But um, going back to this paradigm that we got from Robert for our Capon, we see that the parables of Jesus have this arc. They start with parables of the kingdom, parables of grace, then parables of judgment. And so this is the last one at the end of the line. And so it is the most clear and vivid of that as, as a parable of judgment. And it's just worth noting once again that with, with every embrace, there is an exclusion. Okay, that's just... Um, this is rational, that's uh, philosophically uh, steady and solid, that whenever we embrace something, we have to reject other things too, or else the embrace just isn't very sincere and authentic, right? Um, going back to 
what is it the incredibles like if all people can be superheroes then nobody can be a superhero right so if all are embraced uh, then there is no exclusion which that seems quite positive but at the same time um, it's just more difficult to imagine that all things can be embraced um, at the same depth and level and sincerity and so whenever we see a parable of judgment like this and like there's some alarm bells that go off maybe it, it begins to kind of uh, provide some friction to our sensibilities we have to remind ourselves that on the back end of the ex- of the exclusion is the embrace right and we need to allow god the, even the holy god the generous benevolent god that he is to to have a point where he can bring some exclusion uh, his love is being poured out for all people we do know that uh, other parts in the new testament say Jesus didn't die just for our own sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So it is always wider than we can imagine. And there is a judgment. There is a boundary. There are tributaries to this river of blessing and mercy and grace. And uh, Jesus seems to end his preaching ministry, this parable ministry, according to Matthew's record, with this last call of calling all people to embrace the way of faith, the way of love, Um, because there is going to be a finality of all things and our life will be weighed at the end. And it's just worth noting, I mean, for the Protestant, for the evangelical, we just have to be honest about the material here. Yes, there are components that we have always believed that there is going to be like this eternal separation for those who are embraced by God and those who are rejected by God. The Protestant formula is that that's on the basis of our confession and our faith alone not by works, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, so that no one can boast. But let's be honest, like in Matthew 25, this last parable, even though those components of embrace and, in judge, and judgment are here, uh, there's like some works going on here, right? I mean, those who are received, those who are on the side of being received and getting entrance into this heavenly kingdom prepared for the before the foundation of the, the world, um, there's no sense of, well, they walked the aisle, brother, like during the evangelism tent meeting, you know? No, like these are people who are living out their faith. And so I think we're reminded of that critical passage in James chapter 2 where someone's not saved by their faith alone, but works justify their faith. And there's a mystery there because we also balance that with some other Pauline passages. They're not in opposition they certainly seem to be in tension with one another. But I think the thing that I think of the most of this parable is how how stunningly the idea of working on something or deeds and worship are hand in hand. Um, as the king is, you know, declaring the sentence over those who have been received, he talks about like all these things where someone was hungry and they fed them or thirsty, they gave them something to drink or you know, they were naked and they were clothed and they went to hospitals and prisons they were visited you know and everybody's surprised because they're like when did we do these things to you right because it is kind of absurd to think that any at any moment a king would need some food right or that a king would need something to drink or clothes like they have those things in surplus even in an ancient world where material was you know scarce at times and so they're they're stunned they're like hey I don't remember. I don't recall doing any of these things for you. And so the king says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it to me. Notice the language is not, it it was like you did it to me. Like I tangently, through a couple degrees of separation, felt like you did it to me. 
But the king says, no, you did it to me. And so in a mystery, every face that they served was the face of their king. And I think this is neat for us as Christians because every deed done to somebody else, we could see the face of Jesus in their face, right? This is where work and worship blend together. I think one of the temptations of religious people is that we tend to divide up our life. You know, we have a compartment of work and a department of, sorry, compartment of family, a compartment of hobbies, and then we have this compartment of worship that we assume is done on a Sunday morning with other Christians during a worship service. But uh, Christianity does not allow for these compartments between common and sacred. But all things are sacred if it's done unto the Lord. And therefore, nothing we do is in vain, as Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15, because all is done as worship and service unto God. In fact, uh, some there is a Venn diagram in the original language where worship and serving overlap with one another. Uh, there's a couple of different verbs for worshiping. One is latreia, which is this idea of the priest working hard to arrange the animal sacrifice for worship under the tent of meeting. Like that's a lot of work. I mean, they're wiping sweat off their brow as they are preparing that uh, offering for worship. And so in the same way, work and worship blend together. So that budget meeting on a Tuesday, uh, the changing of diapers in the nursery, um, the hauling the kids from practice to practice, and then showing up at the PTA meeting, um, the, the grandparent duties of, you know, taking the kid's dog to the vet because both kids are working and, um, you know, get at the end of the day, we're exhausted by the end of the day. And maybe we didn't get a chance to fully do all of our devotion material in that study. We shouldn't feel like we failed God that day because all those other things like added up too. those things were worship as well. So those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we relish the gift of salvation that you've so richly bestowed upon us in Jesus. We also thank you that the gospel calls us to a different way of life, including the life of service. And we confess to you there are times we're so overwhelmed because the needs are so profound and multifaceted. Um, It would seem to be so easy just to give of ourselves and to know that those gifts would be received well and were profitable to all. Um, But we know, God, that um, nothing should provide hesitation in our lives to be more benevolent and kind and generous. But Lord, we just confess to you that we've been burnt over the years, and so we're reluctant at times. So we we pray that you teach us wisdom in reaching out to others. We hear you this morning within this parable where our work and our worship blend together in a great unity of the faith and practice. And so God, this day, our desire is to please you. We want to serve you uh, in the face of other people. And so this day, God, we pray that you give us great wisdom, that you give us also a great freedom to give without strings attached, that we can give uh, generously and with celebration like you've asked us to. God, this world has profound needs, but it's also a world that you love. And so we pray that you would mobilize your people to be those generous and kind folks who uh, bind up the brokenhearted and set captives free. Help us to find ways to do that within our communities and our families and our workplaces and also to the ends of the earth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.